0: Oh, Christy, you always do a great job. No doubt about that. Well, I've had a relationship with a skunk for about two weeks now. My wife called me to the bedroom window and said, Look! And I saw a skunk digging a hole under our concrete patio. And I said, Oh, my, this is a problem. So I called animal control. They're supposed to take care of that. Well, they say, We don't do that. So you got to call this company many companies out there they'll come out and for hundred twenty five dollars they'll set a trap and for every animal they catch is like sixty five well it could be a cat or dog you know I mean who knows what's gonna get caught in there so I said I'm not gonna spend two hundred dollars to get rid of this skunk the skunk is not gonna do that to me so I went to the internet the great source of all information and uh, found out what other people had done all kinds of uh, ideas And then I talked to our farmer here at Springbrook, Elaine Brundridge, who has a farm stand off of 72, and uh, his son, let me borrow his trap here, a critter cage, and so I learned how to operate this trap, and I was going to bait uh, this skunk. I was going to tempt him into my trap. And... Someone told me that cat food worked well, so I went to the store and I bought cat food. I've never done that in my entire life, and I hope never to do it again. Ten cans of cat food. I brought it home and I set it up very strategically, way back here where he sets off the trap, and then up in front. And everything was ready to go in about 9:30. The dogs went out. One of the dogs we have is Opie, and uh, he found the cat food. He enjoyed the cat food. He tried to get at the cat food at the back of the trap. He rolled the trap a couple different times. And thank you, Opie. I appreciate that. I was not happy. So I had to go reset the trap. And the next morning, nothing. I tried it again the next night, and that didn't work. And I said, okay, we're going to take care of this skunk. So I took a hose, put it in the hole, turned the water on, and watched to see what would happen. About a minute later, The skunk comes soaring out of the hole, sopping wet. I said, yes. And the skunk went under the stairs. And uh, so I rattled some things around and it went right up in the neighbor's yard. And I said, yes. The skunk is gone. Well, that night, Opie, my good friend. We'll see another show Opie here again. Uh, There he is. He's very curious. And uh, I tell you what. He got really close to this skunk because, I mean, <laughs> it must have sprayed him in the mouth because he was vomiting and, oh, I mean, don't feel bad for him. I mean, this happens like every year. I mean, he really should learn. so uh, but uh, And then I had put a lot of heavy pieces of material around the skunk hole thinking, okay, he's not getting in there, and he burrowed another <laughs> hole right into this den again. So I got the hose out the next morning, and uh, he wasn't there. I guess he got tired of swimming. But I tell you what, friends, uh, I tried to catch that skunk, and I'm not very good at skunk catching because I have no experience. So uh, I tried to tempt him. I tried to bait him into my trap, and eventually I got him in one way. Uh, Friends, I want to talk about uh, Satan today, and Satan wants to trap us and he wants to bait us and he wants to trap us in this cage of sin and he's very good at it he's an expert he's a professional he's been working for four thousand years and we need to be ready to defend ourselves against Satan and God has taught us how to do that in fact one of the most powerful examples of dealing with Satan is found in Matthew chapter 4 we'll be studying that today we're in a series entitled learning from the lessons or life that is of jesus we're studying different passages in matthew as we go throughout the summer here and uh last week uh, two weeks ago we talked about the baptism of john or baptizing jesus christ that is and this week we're going to look at the baptism or the uh tempting of jesus christ by satan so open your bibles to matthew chapter 4 take out your message notes out there and we'll take a closer look about overcoming temptation. My first question is, what is temptation anyway? Matthew 4, 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. interesting thing about the word in the original language, in the Greek it's Uh it's not a negative word, the idea of temptation in Scripture. It's not a negative word. It doesn't have the baggage that It has in our English uh, language. Uh, In fact, it's, it's a neutral word. We see in James 1, 2, and 3 the same word. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. That's the same word. Trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing, that's a very, very similar word. The trials of your faith develops perseverance. Now we continue on in James and we see in James 1 when tempted no one should say God is tempting me that's the same word for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone so as I was studying this I was thinking okay what happens every day when we wake up and go throughout our day we have tests that come our way and we pass or we fail and these tests can come from several different sources A test can be allowed by God in our life. He can put us in a situation where we're tested. He wants us, of course, to grow to be more like Jesus Christ, and that's why he allows uh, these tests. Or it could be Satan enticing us. That's another type of uh, test, or The idea of Satan encouraging us to do something wrong by putting thoughts in our mind or manipulating circumstances and people in order for us to make the wrong decision. Uh, But the most important thing we need to understand is that it's our flesh that leads us into temptation. Now, God can allow it, Satan can encourage it, but we pull the trigger, we make the decision. We are the ones who are causing the havoc because of our sin. And I'll listen to people sometimes and they'll say, oh, Satan's attacking here and Satan's attacking there. And and I agree, Satan does attack. But we usually are the core of the problem. And Satan many times doesn't have anything to do with it. We attack other people. We attack ourselves. We're the ones who are responsible. That's the important thing to understand that Tests are given to us and because of our fleshly natures, we respond in the wrong way because we want to do things our way. And sometimes Satan encourages us. uh, Sometimes God allows certain tests to come our way. But life is a series of tests. So what's the outcome? Are you going to pass? Are you going to fail? Are you going to do what God wants you to do through his power of the Spirit? Or are you going to, again, follow your flesh? So... Just some inf- interesting insights into what temptation is all about we are responsible and God wants to help us <laughs> the question is okay how do we face all these tests well the, the human tendency is to do it on our own and the Church of Galatia they had some false teachers who were saying yeah you got to do this all on your own you got to earn your relationship with God by by doing good works and what Paul says to them in Galatians 3 3 it says are you so foolish After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And that's what frustrates so many Christians, is they're trying to please God with their own energies and their own efforts, and they continue to fail because it's impossible. You begin with the Spirit, and you become a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit comes into you in order to empower you to overcome sin. And you've got to continue in the Spirit. A prayer that we all need to pray for ourselves is found in Ephesians 3.16. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. If you want to be a Christ follower who is becoming more like Christ, who is experiencing more victory than defeats, being able to overcome those fleshly desires, it's got to start with the Spirit of God. You've got to ask the Spirit of God to control your life. The Spirit's already within you if you're a Christ follower. You need to give Him control. You stop quenching Him by doing your own thing, but you let Him control your life. You let Him empower you to say no to what is so tempting to you. So if you're struggling with temptation, in fact, I encourage you to think of a temptation you're struggling with right now in life and and apply the principles found in God's Word to that temptation as we go throughout this time. Think about one temptation and ask yourself, okay, over the last couple of weeks, how often have I prayed for the Spirit's power to help me overcome this temptation? You, you need to continue to pray. Every time you're tempted, you need to continue to pray. Spirit, fill me with your power to overcome this temptation because you'll never do it alone. The flesh is too strong and Satan, certainly, will do whatever he can uh, to take advantage of the weakness of your flesh. Now, whenever we look at this passage, uh, the question always comes up, was it possible that Jesus could sin? Now, certainly he could be tempted in a sense, but was it possible that he could actually sin? Because, you see, Jesus Christ was 100% God, 100% divine, 100% holy, and he was 100% man, like you and I. Now that's a mystery, we'll never be able to understand, but he was the God-man. So the question is, if he was God and man, if Satan tempted him, if he, on his own, by his own manhood, was tempted, could he sin? Well, there's a couple different schools of thought. One school, which I hold to, is that His divinity, His holiness, overcame His humanness. And therefore, it was impossible for Him to sin. Because He was 100% God, and God cannot sin. That is His character. He'll never sin. So therefore, God, excuse me, Jesus Christ, could never have sinned, even though He was tempted. At the same time, because of His humanness, He felt the temptation he understands temptation he knows what it's like to go through that process in fact he really knows because Satan was one-on-one with him we know Satan as the highest created being Lucifer who rebelled against God because he wanted to be God and he was thrown out of heaven and a third of the angels went with him and they became demons and Satan can only be one place at one time so just be praying he's not working on you. Uh, <laughs> usually it's a demon who's putting thoughts in your head and, again, doing those things to manipulate situations to encourage you uh, to sin. But typically we talk about uh, Satan. And yeah, Satan, uh, he's powerful. He's very powerful. And we need to be aware of that power and respect that power. So you got Satan and Jesus Christ. And the question is, can Jesus Christ actually sin? I say no. Other people say, yeah, it was a possibility. Of course, we all agree that he never did sin. But I really felt that, or I, I believe that he felt the power of that temptation. And, and Satan was, you know, he, he brought out the big guns. You know, we have demons maybe working on us. But when he was working with Jesus Christ, Satan threw everything he had at him. And Jesus Christ stood firm. So it's so encouraging uh, to know that Jesus Christ uh, was victorious as we study throughout this passage. Another thing about Jesus Christ actually feeling the temptation, it's very comforting as we see in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Talking about Jesus. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. It's very interesting to think about. Jesus Christ, 30 years he lived in obscurity, but he was tempted just like you and I. Jesus Christ was tempted to lie. Jesus Christ was tempted to gossip. Jesus Christ was tempted to steal. Jesus Christ was tempted to lust. Jesus Christ was tempted to be materialistic. Jesus Christ was tempted to be hate. It says that He was tempted in every way. All the common temptations that you and I experience, Jesus Christ in those 30-plus years, experiences as well. I don't know about you, but that's comforting. When I'm struggling with a temptation to go to Jesus and say, "Help me," because I know you know how this feels because you were one of us. That is something that's very powerful. Knowing that He is going to help us and He is going to uh, empower us. Well, let's take a look at the setting of this temptation. Uh, We see pictures of the wilderness. We'll just cycle through these. Uh, This is down near the Jordan uh, River and a very arid, dry, unforgiving, desolate place. Well, again, this is where Jesus Christ initially spent 40 days fasting. It's difficult enough to fast in your normal life. But but he was fasting. And the idea of fasting is you stop eating food in order to heighten your senses to put your focus on God. And I encourage you to fast. Uh, maybe you just want to do a lunchtime fast. And instead of spending that time eating, you spend that time focusing on God, or maybe a day or a week. There's different ways to do it, and there's a lot of information there about fasting. But I believe that Jesus Christ went through these 40 days as a way of preparing for His ministry. He had just been baptized. His public ministry had just began, and He was preparing for it, I believe. Just like Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness preparing for the deliverance of the Israelites, just like Paul spent uh, three years in the desert preparing his ministry, Jesus Christ was preparing himself for what was to happen over the next three years. Also, I believe he was preparing for the temptation, because many people say, oh, he was so hungry and he was so weak after these 40 days of fasting. Well, I believe he was very spiritually strong, as he always was, but again, I think he was modeling for us how you prepare uh, for temptation. Uh, we need to be spiritually strong. We need to be filled uh, with the Spirit. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter four, verse two. It says, After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. So he was hungry. Matthew four three, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So here we have Satan. Coming to Jesus Christ, the ultimate cosmic battle: Jesus Christ versus Satan. Satan had waited so long for this to take Jesus Christ on one on one. I really believe, of course, that he thought he could win. Of course, Satan is deluded, no doubt. But uh, Satan, of course, comes after us, and. Studies show that uh, 70% of Americans, surveys show that 70% of Americans believe in Satan. Unfortunately, this is what they think of Satan sometimes. We'll see in this next picture. They yeah, have the horns, the pitchfork, the red outfit. Yeah, we make jokes about Satan. We make jokes about hell, and we don't take it very seriously. People don't take it very seriously. But he is very real. And unfortunately, he doesn't appear like this. I mean, if Satan showed up like this, I would know, hey, i got a problem here. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I send something flashed in my mind, you know, a red (laughs) type of logo, I'd say, okay. (laughs) But that's not the way Satan operates. In fact, Satan operates in a very uh, attractive way. We read in our next passage, Second Corinthians 11:14, Paul was addressing the people at Corinth and they were being misled by false teachers and it all sounded good but he said that no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light Satan makes sin look good. I mean really good. He's the ruler of this world. He is the ruler of the world system that he himself has created. All you have to do is spend time looking at advertisements. And you'll see how cunning he is in encouraging people not to put God first, but to go after all the pleasures and desires uh, that they have. So Satan's very subtle. Satan wants to be undercover. He doesn't want you to know what he's doing. And we need to be aware of that. So that's what temptation is all about. Satan wants to trap us. He wants to set the trap, and he knows how to do it. And That's why we need to be on Guard, and we need to know what the Bible has to say about dealing with Satan. Well, let's look at uh, what are the types of temptation. First John 2:15 and 16 is a classic passage on the types of sin. It says, "Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man. That's the first type of sin: the lust of the flesh." Our desires we all have natural desires that are not wrong a desire to eat to desire to sleep desire to work desire to, um, uh, for sex sex uh, a desire to have clothing shelter all those different types of things but many times what happens with our flesh and Satan encourages and encourages us in this is to send those drives into overdrive right to become obsessed with these cravings and go way beyond where God says we should go in fulfilling these desires. That's the lust of the flesh. Then the lust of his eyes, the lust of his eyes, that's the second type of sin, is what we see, what we desire. An example of this is materialism. We see things that we want that think will bring us satisfaction when they don't. And the boasting of what he has and does. That's the pride of life. We all struggle with pride. We are the reason that we're so successful. We are the reason that everyone should be impressed. Because we've worked so hard. We're self-made men and self-made women. And uh, it's all about us and what we've done. When obviously, everything we've done, everything that is good in our life, comes and God, But we fall into the boasting of what we have and what we do. It comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, these three different types of uh, sins or temptations are seen in what Satan did with Jesus Christ in tempting him. So let's look at them. The lust of the flesh, the basic needs that we have, the drives that are an overdrive. Matthew 4, three. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, you look at that and say, Okay, what's the problem with that? Well, look at it. If you are the Son of God, what is he doing? Well, he's casting doubt. Are you really the Son of God? Do you really think you're the Son of God? Well, oh, prove it to me. I want to see it. And really, the... The essence of every evil temptation is doubting, the, doubting God's goodness. Doubting God's goodness. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to say, Hey, you know what? Does God really love you that much? Does He really have your best interests in mind? Is God being straight with you? I mean, we saw that in the first temptation, right? The temptation of Eve. She was living in a beautiful garden. Everything was perfect. She was walking with God. Life couldn't have been better. But there was just one tree. And it had a particular fruit on it. And God said, don't eat from that tree. And Satan came along as a snake and said to Eve, hey, listen, you ever wonder about God? Ever wonder that maybe He's holding out on you? That maybe He's saying don't eat from that Root, because then you'll be like him. Have you ever thought about that? And that's kind of what Satan does. He introduces those thoughts. You really think God knows best for you? I mean, you're a pretty smart person. And, you know, sometimes God's commands don't make much sense. Everybody else is doing it. So you really think that God wants the best for you, that really this is the best way to go? That's the whole nature of the temptation and being involved In sin whether Satan encourages or whether we think it ourselves we think we can do it better God it's taking you too long God this is too complex God I'm not happy God so I'm going to do it my way we doubt the fact that God wants the best for us and he knows how to deliver it that's what sin is we do it our own way instead of God's way that's the essence of what our problem is and so Satan is saying here, hey, make some bread for yourself. Well, that makes sense. Forty days of fasting, Jesus got the power. Turn that bread, turn that stone into bread. What's the problem with that? Well, the issue is that Jesus Christ submitted himself to the Father while he was here on earth. And he was, he always does, but especially in a special way, while he was on earth. And he was only going to do what God told him to do. So if he would have made bread out of that stone, that would have been on his own initiative. That wasn't part of God's plan. He'd be doing it on his own. And that would have been sin. You see, that was the mission of Satan. He wanted to get Jesus Christ to sin. And that makes sense. Hey, make some bread for yourself. And he thought Jesus Christ might buy into that because he was very, very... Hungry, but Jesus Christ, of course, knew that He only could follow the will of the Father. So what does Jesus Christ say? Jesus answered, It is written... What is He doing here? He's quoting the Scriptures. Man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting the Old Testament. We see this in Deuteronomy eight three. what He's quoting. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which, either, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now let's think about this for a moment. Manna. What was manna? Well, the Israelites were complaining that they weren't eating well enough, so they asked God to give them some food They ate well. In Egypt, they were slaves there, but at least they had some good food to eat. Many times, they said, we want to go back to Egypt. You know, one time they said, we want some of that food. Well, God gave him food, but he gave him the bare sustenance of life. (laughs) Manna. Manna. In fact, the word manna means, what is it? Nobody had a clue. Basically, it was something something, uh, to sustain life. It was some type of bread. I I, kind of compare it to enriched white bread. Enriched white bread. Wonder bread. Yes, it's wonder bread. That's what it is. Imagine if you had to eat wonder bread morning, noon, and night. Maybe your kids might enjoy it for a while with peanut butter and jelly. Uh, But no, it was just manna. That's all. It's just manna. Now, why did God just give them manna? What's the deal with that? Well, it says right here, He humbled them and He said, Okay, you want something to eat? I'm going to give you the most bland food I can give you in order that you might know that you do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It's not about food. It's not about your job. It's not about pleasure. It's not about sex. It's about me. And you need to focus on me continually or you're going to get off the path and Satan's going to catch you in his trap. That's what God is saying. That's what Jesus Christ said back to Satan. He said, Satan, you're trying to to cause me to sin to try to fulfill my desire in my way. But... Food's not where it's at. I'm following God. I'm keeping God at the center of my life. When we're dealing with satanic powers, we need to wear the armor of God. We see this outlined in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, you you put the whole armor on, but the only offensive weapon you have is what? Is a sword, right? Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We're not called to attack Satan. We're called just to stand. To hold that sword. And when Satan comes our way, the one thing that we can wield against him is the truth of Scripture. And it's very interesting as you study, and all of you know this or many of you know this, the idea that every time Satan tempted Jesus Christ, what did he do? He quoted the Old Testament. He quoted Scripture. And I think One of the reasons he did that was to show us how to deal with Satan. Is that if we have a particular temptation, whatever that might be in your mind, we need to find Scripture verses that we can own, that we can memorize, in order to protect ourselves against Satan. In order to speak God's Word. You don't fight the battle. God fights the battle through His Word and through His Spirit. And therefore, as you memorize a verse that has something to do with the temptation that you're dealing with, when Satan comes your way, you speak it back to him. In fact, Martin Luther one time was battling with Satan. He threw an inkwell at him. In fact, you can go to the place in Europe, the room where there's ink over the wall, where he had a battle with Satan. And the only tool we have, friends, is the power and the Word of God. So we need to know that Word. We need to memorize it. seen in Psalm 119. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's why we hide God's word in our heart. That's why we memorize it. So when we're driving down the road and we have a temptation and Satan's trying to speak to us, we say, no, Satan, this is what the word of God says, just like Jesus Christ said. Jesus Christ said to Satan, no, Satan, you got it wrong. As always, it's what God says, and that's what I am going to follow. So we have the lust of the flesh. We need to remember that our fleshly desires can get us into so much trouble. We need to remember that Jesus Christ is our focus. Let's look at the second temptation, the pride of life. The pride of life, Matthew chapter four, verses verse five says, "And the devil took him to the holy city. So they were transporting. Okay, so they were in the middle of the wilderness, and all of a sudden." You know, they were at the temple in Jerusalem and had him stand in the highest point of the temple. Now, many scholars believe that this was Herod's porch, and it was like 450 feet down. It was on the Kidron Valley side of the temple, Herod's temple, and it was just a beautiful uh, view. But if you fell off, you'd go 450 feet down. And you would die. Uh, so it goes on. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written. Oh, now, what's going on here? <laughs> what, what's Satan doing? He's quoting scripture. Okay. Isn't he a conniving kind of guy? I mean, he said, okay, if you quote scripture, I'm going to quote scripture. He know, He's got this book memorized. You know that, don't you? All right. He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Psalm 91. So he's saying, okay, you don't have to do anything. I know you had a problem with, you know, making something, <laughs> you know, making bread out of a stone. But uh, this time, just, just, you know, throw yourself off, and let's see, I want proof, Satan says. Now, of course, he's guiding Jesus into sin, and that's the way he tricks us as well. But he said, I want proof that God's going to take care of you. So just throw yourself off. Now, let me give a little more background. We go to our next passage, and uh, we see in Malachi 3.1, a prophecy about Scripture, about Jesus Christ. He says, uh, Malachi says, See, I will send my messenger, that's Jesus, the Messiah, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So... When people read this and they wanted the job of the Messiah, there were a lot of people who wanted to be the Messiah. That's a pretty cool thing, right? To be the Messiah. (laughs) Worshipped by everybody. They say, okay, the Messiah is going to come, everybody believe this, in relationship to the temple. There's going to be something sensational. Suddenly... He's going to come. So people who were trying to get the job of the Messiah, they were thinking, okay, what's something sensational I can do in relationship to the temple to prove everybody that I am the Messiah? In fact, one guy, tradition tells us, actually did this, Simon Magus. He said, okay, I'm going to throw myself off the temple, and I'm going to show you that I'm the Messiah. And he did. And his Messiah career ended at that time but that's what people did they tried to catch everybody's attention so what Satan is saying here listen if you throw yourself off it's gonna prove to everybody that you are the Messiah and you can have instant gratification and that's what we're all looking for right that's what our flesh wants instant gratification I want it now so Jesus you want it now you don't have to go through all the things and I don't believe Satan fully knew what was going to happen obviously he led Jesus Christ at the cross he wanted that didn't realize he's gonna rise again But at the same time, he wanted Jesus Christ to sin. And he wanted to throw himself off the temple. What does Jesus Christ say? Look at our next passage. Jesus answered him, It is also written, quote scripture again, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So what Satan was asking Jesus Christ to do was to presume upon God. And basically say, Okay, I'm going to presume upon God. God said it, so I'm going to see if He's actually going to do it. I'm going to test God. And the Scripture says, do not test God. Do not presume upon Him. Again, it was the pride of life. Satan was saying, you can have it all right now. Right now, your, your, your ministry has just started, and within 40 days, you can be the king. And everybody will be worshiping you, and you don't have to go through everything, whatever you got planned. Let's make it happen right now. It's the pride of life. And, and so much, so often we buy into Satan's lies about the pride of life. You know, we have to do things in a certain way. We have to buy certain things. We have to go certain places. We've got to, we've got to uh, present a certain image to let people know that we're on the in crowd, one might say. That we're successful and that we're the reason behind that we're we're a self-made man, a self-made woman. Peer pressure is so powerful in our lives. It tempts us. In fact, many of you, of course, have heard of Home Field Advantage. Sports Illustrated uh, reported on this last year, and they said it's true. (laughs) I mean, when a a, a team plays at home, most of the time they win. majority of the time they win, whether it's Japanese baseball or NFL pro football, or British soccer. They win. Now, why is that? Well, a team of uh, researchers studied this, if you can imagine that, and they looked at what people usually thought. Oh, well, it's the home crowd. All their cheering gets the team going, and they play so much better. No, no, that's, that doesn't make any sense. They, they perform at the same level all the time, up and down. It doesn't have anything to do whether they're at home or away, or, or possibly it's the familiarity. With the ballpark, the fact that they play there a lot, no, that's not the reason. Or maybe it's because they don't have to be traveling, staying in hotels, so they have so much more energy. No, no, that's not the reason. You know what the reason is? The reason reason is peer pressure. And you know who's being pressured? The officials. The officials are the ones who are the catalyst for home field advantage because. The officials, with maybe not even realizing it, if a game is close and the crowd is fired up, and, of course, if they may make a call against the home team, everybody's going to be booing at them. So what happens is the officials will make more calls favorable to the home team so they won't be booed at. That's what the study says. Interesting, isn't it? Even officials, you think... Nobody would be <laughs> open to peer pressure in their job, right? Well, according to the study, they are. Peer pressure is very, very powerful. And the question that you and I have to ask is, where are we bowing into peer pressure? How about it work? Think about that. Is there anything you're doing that is, is not godly? Is there anything that you're doing that is full of pride? Is there anything that you're doing where you're trying to manipulate things? Is there anything you're doing that you think God isn't pleased with because you want to be accepted, you want to excel, you want to please the crowd, you want to be able to say, yeah, I'm I'm hot stuff. (laughs) Or or how about, you know, in your neighborhood or in in the people or group you hang around with, your friends here at church, whatever. You know, are we succumbing to the pride of life? Are we trying to present ourselves in a certain way in order to impress other people? Our job here is not to impress other people. Our job is to impress God and to serve Him. So the pride of life. Let's look at the last type of temptation, the last temptation that Satan brought Jesus Christ through, and that's the lust of the eyes, the desire to obtain things. Again, the devil, they transported to a very high mountain, who knows where this was, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. So it was like a panorama. You turn and you see Rome and you see Egypt and the far-fledged countries of the earth. Now, Satan was the ruler of the world and he said, Hey, this can all be yours. All this I will give you, he said, If you will bow down and worship me. Let your eyes be filled with everything that can be yours. If you'll just bow down to me. Now, here Satan just take to, takes a gloves off. Okay. No subtleness here. Just worship me, okay? I mean, you didn't do it uh, back in the day, all right? And you you kicked me out of heaven, so let's, let's just have it done right now, okay? And I'll give this all to you. Satan's getting desperate. Uh, and, again, we can easily fall into that trap. You know, we see the stuff that everybody else has. We see the experiences that everybody else has. And we say, we want that. The Bible says we shouldn't have that, and it's not part of God's plan for my life, but I tell you, I really want that. And uh, we are pulled by the flesh, encouraged by Satan, and not empowered by the spirit. And we end up in the sin cage, which brings all kinds of pain into our life. How did Jesus Christ respond? It says, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, quoting Scripture. What was Satan thinking? (laughs) And the devil left him. And the angels came and attended him. That must have been a beautiful picture, right? And and it also speaks to the fact that Jesus Christ needed attending too. This wasn't an easy experience for him. It wasn't, oh, Satan, you're you're crazy. (laughs) There was a dynamic in terms of after fasting for that long time and his hunger and this cosmic power battle going on. I mean, it took something out of him in a sense. And therefore, the... The angels came and they, they fed him bread in God's timing, right? In God's timing. And they worshiped him and they cared for him. But it was in God's timing. Are you willing to wait for God's timing? Are you trying to push some issue in your life? You're saying, well, I, I'm tired of waiting for a mate, so I'm going to settle for a person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Start dating non-Christians. Because, God, your your plan is not working. Many people have done that and have felt the burden of having a person who doesn't have a relationship with God as their spouse. And, of course, they continue to love them and that kind of thing, but it is challenging, and God doesn't want that for us in the sense that it makes life more difficult, and it's not part of His plan for your life. So, that's one illustration. Where in your life are you trying to push things along? Where are you trying to speed up the timetable? Where are you trying... To manipulate things don't do it because you're going to find yourself right in that cage and you're going to look back and you're going to say what was i thinking what was i thinking it's about like like a guy who lost his credit card true story down in florida and what happened was is that he called to cancel the credit card and they said well this credit card was just used like five minutes ago to buy pizza uh, just down the way so he called the police and they caught this guy who had stole the credit card, William Miller, and he was a dentist. And he had 3 to $4 million in the bank. And the pizza cost $40.06, and he had $250 cash in his wallet. Now, what's that about? They say, that's stupid. I tell you what, friends, we all do very stupid things. <laughs> you know, when we're under the influence of our flesh, and Satan is enticing us... We do really stupid things. And we look back and say, Wow, I can't believe I was so stupid. Well, friends, you need to focus your, your heart on Jesus Christ. You need to fill your mind with God's Word. You need to let His Spirit empower you in order that you won't do stupid <laughs> things, right? All right. Uh, now, Luke 4.13 is another uh, version of uh, this story. Another telling in the Gospel of Luke, it says, "When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left until an opportune time." Satan never gives up; he will be tempting you till the day you die. All right? So we need to stay close to Jesus. First Corinthians 10:13 is an encouraging verse. We read there, "No temptation has seized you, except what is common to man, and God is faithful; he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear." Your temptation is not unique. You're thinking nobody else at Springbrook has my temptation. Well, I think they probably do. When we are in our own, nobody goes around talking a lot about temptation. Hey, you know what I was tempted with this last week? <laughs> you know, I couldn't believe it. That's really weird, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I mean, we don't know what everybody's going through. And 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 uh, Paul writes here. Hey, it's common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. You can do it with Jesus. You can't do it alone. But if you trust in Jesus. But when you're tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So you don't need to be trapped. You don't need to fall for it. And even when you're halfway in the trap and and you feel there's no way to escape the temptation you continue to fall into, there is a way to escape out. I want Gary Bone to come up at this time and He's going to share with us uh, an issue in his life where he felt trapped and how Jesus Christ freed him from that.
1: Good morning. I was definitely trapped. I was in that cage. I um, <clears throat> My plan wasn't working. Uh, four years ago, I uh, really started uh, the process back. But uh, for about 15 years or so, I was dealing with a, uh, an alcohol addiction. Um that, like I said, kind of culminated in um, 2007 in July. I um, I was absolutely covered up. I was uh, hopeless, I was powerless, um, I I didn't know what to do. And, um, you know, things, before that, things were, were pretty good. I moved to Chicagoland in uh, 2004, I, uh, you know, was doing well, I, I kind of moved here in order to kind of uh, start over again. and Um, I was attending church I had a good job I was a top sales rep I had uh, uh, moved into a condominium I had uh, you know things were going for uh, going well Uh, and I stopped doing the things that you know were were working for me I quit going to church Um, I started doing things my way and uh, within 18 months I was I was deep into the, uh, the addiction again. And uh, so what happened was uh, I had some people in my life, obviously, that, uh, that God put there to, to help me. I went into detox. Um, and in July, this was the third detox in eight months. So um, kind of gives you an idea how deep it was. Um, <clears throat> once I got out of detox, after four days, I had nowhere to go. Because at the time, my family was telling me, you know, you need to, you need to seek treatment. You can't come back here. You know, you need to do something, something else. And, um, you know, God was working at that point. I didn't know it. Uh, I was, I was kind of desperate. But uh, one of the counselors told me, you know, we'll take you over to the mission in Rockford, and uh, they have a program there, and you can kind of decide what to do then. So, boy. Uh, I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's basically a homeless shelter. So I got dropped off, um, and I kind of just, obviously, God was working. Um, I I had no control at this point. But I talked to uh, the counselors there that next morning. Um, This guy named Bill asked me, Gary, where's your spiritual life right now? Um, They have a spiritual-based program. And I said, I really need God in my life. I said I, I've gotten away from that. There's a God-shaped hole in my heart that nothing but God can fill. You know, I, came, I come to that realization. So I entered the program, which was about bi- a Bible-based program, um, faith-based restoration program. And um, you know, thank God for that. I mean, I really felt like I was led there. Uh, again, you know, kind of giving up, uh, giving control over to the Lord. Um, you know, after a few weeks there. Uh, I accepted Christ into my life Uh, I kind of gave it all up to him and said you're in control from now on I I learned a lot about the Bible I learned a lot about the Gospels I I studied it Um, and uh, you know since then uh, again this is four years ago you know I have my struggles still but uh, in temptations but um, I've I've been blessed with a beautiful wife um, who is an angel from heaven and uh, I have a new church home and a new church family. I'm involved in men's small groups here. Um, and uh, I just thank God for that opportunity. You know, I've learned just to put, put God first. And, uh, you know, Matthew six thirty three says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. And that's uh, living proof that, that that is true. And uh, I just seek the, the spirit to lead me uh, whenever these things come up, whether it's stress that, leads me to uh, you know think about that temptation Um, and I just I just thank God every day for for uh, for his help
0: Gary I want to thank you so much uh, for your transparency and your courage and sharing uh, your story you know we're all broken in different ways And I'm so excited about the group uh, that you're you're starting, as I know in this size uh, group there are people who have dealt with or are dealing with very serious addictions, and we want to provide a group that you can come to where you can get received some encouragement. Uh, So uh, the relationship. uh, Well, I'm sorry. Talk about the group
1: group's called Celebrate Recovery, and it's uh, some of you may have heard of it. It's um, it's a faith-based, Bible-based recovery program, along the lines of a of a 12-step program, but it's based on the Beatitudes uh, in Matthew five, six, and seven. And um, you know, it's just a way to deal with whatever hurts and hang-ups or habits that you might have. You know, whether it's a substance addiction or a addiction like a gambling addiction or, uh, you know, internet or anger or you know, whatever, but, um, materialism, any, any issue like that can be, um, can be addressed uh, through this program. So we're really excited to kick it off. Um, if anybody has any questions, I'm going to be out by the small group table, um, and I'd be glad to uh, talk to you or talk to Pastor Richard. Uh, it'll be confidential, obviously. Um, And uh, you know I'm just I'm just very excited to be a part of it I was exposed to it in Rockford when I was there and uh, I just thought because it's a spiritual based program it's uh, and it was such a huge part of my recovery um, I just think it's essential to to help with you know any kind of trauma or any kind of hurt that you're going through it's it's an incredible program
0: And I really do encourage you to become part of that group. Again, you can talk to Pastor Richard about it, or myself, or Gary. Uh, again, we want to keep it confidential. Uh, so again, uh, talk to one of the pastors, and we can get you hooked up uh, with that. Hey, take out your communication slips at this time, and want you to take uh, next step here, as we always try to do. In our next step slide here, that talks about uh, steps you can take. How you can apply this message to your life, the Word of God. Number one, I will pray daily about a temptation in my life. So look under where it says your name, and there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, through 10. And you can circle uh, the number that, uh, again, is what you might want to indicate. Again, we don't follow up on these particular ones. But this is just your way of saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do this week. Take that next step. I'll memorize a verse that deals with my temptation like we talked about. Circle that. Uh, God leads you to. I'll be involved in the food drive. I encourage you to bring a lot of food next week as we serve our community. Let's pray together, Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for the time that you've given us to talk about what Satan wants to do to us, but thank you that you're so much more powerful. I mean, there's no comparison. You are all powerful, and thank you that you just want us to uh, again download that power into our lives through your Spirit. Lord, that we might be like You. Lord, I pray that we return to You many times this week as we face temptation and we memorize a verse that we would uh, stand strong with the sword of the Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. If we could have our ushers come forward. To gather.